Hello and welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher. Tonight I'm talking with Mike Cleland. He is the author of The Messengers, Owls, Synchronicity, and the UFO Abductee. Um, he's known amongst uh, the UFO community as the Owl Guy, which is, you know, kind of, I mean, it's cool, but he does all kinds of other stuff too. He's an artist and he writes books about back backpacking and he goes to conferences. He does typesetting and book design. So he's multi-talented. So don't just think of him as the owl guy. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. It's good to be back. It is excellent to be back. We did this once before and the internet gods hated on us. And uh, I was basically talking to myself somehow. I don't know how, but Mike's voice did not record so we're both recording it this time. So if one of us screws it up, the other one will have captured it. So no no weird internet stuff. So how do you want to start talking about what owls have to do with UFOs? Well, the last time we spoke, I was really happy with that conversation and 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 uh and I and, and first of all, I under, I've ran a podcast myself and I absolutely know that, you know, this kind of stuff happens. So, so I, it's, I'm on, I'm honored to be back and talking again. Um, and hopefully we can capture the power of that conversation because I thought it went really well, but, um, yeah. I mean, I, I often begin my talks and my things about with us, with a story that involves camping and, um, I've told it many times and as I, and it's a, and I can tell it poetically, I can tell it nicely. And that's f fair to say, because it is a really remarkable sort of poetic story so um i can just roll right in with that like how how i was going to say how i found owls that would be incorrect it would be better to say how owls found me uh, i think would be the, the better way to say it sure great oh so so i'm uh, 60 now i just turned 60 at the time i was 44 i think i've got that right and i was living in idaho uh, right next to Grand Teton National Park. And I was working for an outdoor school. So I was spending my summers outside and, and, and this was autumn and I think it was early October. And, and I met a young woman who was working at the school I worked for. Now I had been working up in Alaska that summer and there's a branch of the school that it was right down the road from me in this little town in Idaho. And and I got to talking with her and I, I said, oh, you've been here all summer, right here, Yellowstone, Grand Teton National Park, all the whole summer. You must have camped a lot. And she looked at me and said, oh, I haven't gone camping once. And I was like, oh, that's terrible. I'll take you camping, which might sound kind of like an odd thing. And it was kind of a first date in a weird way, but um, it was a camping culture. And so like, so that made, so it was easy to just like, yeah, let's go camping. So I, um. We went out for one night. We packed very light, didn't take any. We, it was a very beautiful night, and we could see by the way the sun was setting that there was not going to be any rain. There was no reason to bring a tent. So we were just going to go walk into the mountains, sleep under the stars, turn around, and hike back in the next morning. And we got to a point in the mountains where, uh, you know, even though we left in the afternoon with just about three or four hours of walking, we were way deep in the mountains in this beautiful meadow. And I was sitting on a big flat rock. Uh, making dinner on a little camp stove. And I had been outdoors all summer long, so I was completely in my element. And 
we were having a conversation. This was a stranger. This was, in essence, a total stranger. And, and I, and she was talking about something and it really struck me. I was like, wow, this is a, this is, there's a depth to this person that I did not expect. This is, this person is much more insightful and smarter than I, than I would have guessed. And so it was at that moment that an owl flew over us and then a second owl and then a third owl. So, and, and for the next I'm going to say hour. These owls flew around us, three owls, and they were landing on branches nearby and swooping down low over our heads. And and we ate our dinner in this beautiful setting with these owls flying around, having this really powerful conversation. And then um, we had to find a flat spot to sleep. So we walked a little bit and found a flat spot and we laid our sleeping bags out and, 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 as the sun was down and setting, the sun was it was getting dark and the stars were out. When we laid down, the owls were still there. So you would lie on your backs. We were still talking. She was, and you could lie on your backs and look straight up at the stars. And this is the Northern Rockies. The stars are mind blowing, spectacular. And these owls would swoop right across our faces, like they would come down low, right across our faces. And owls have specialized feathers, so they fly very quietly. It's essentially absolute silence. There's no wing flutter at all. So you'd be looking straight up at the sky and then this whole scene would just be blotted out for just a half a second. And the next morning we were like, wow, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. There's, there's, well, I'm going to add one more thing to this story. One part of the story, which I almost never tell on the way out of the mountains, I met my old girlfriend. And this is a girlfriend I had from 10 years earlier. And it was a very small town, and we broke up. We were we were on very good terms, and I'm going to call her Carol. The woman I was camping with is Kristen, and Carol was um, was walking with her young kids. She is in the ten years since we'd parted. She got married and had uh, two kids, so she was walking with her two kids. One girl was about eight, and the boy was about four, I think four or five. So I picked up the little boy and carried him. And we had the conversation that I had been waiting to have. We had the conversation where I, where I basically, where both of us basically said, you know, I'm doing great. This is everything. My life's going well. Everything's going pretty well for me right now. And, and we had been in a small town. It was a little bit awkward. She had gotten married and I was the old boyfriend. So I kept Anyway, so we had the conversation I'd been waiting 10 years to have. And that feels important in, the, in this big story. But anyway, so and then and then I will say that Kristen walked with the girl ahead of me, the daughter, and she was about eight or nine, probably eight. And we got back to the car and I just was like, oh, my word, I just had this powerful conversation with 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 her. I hadn't seen her in so long and it felt so good to have that conversation. And Kristen said I had the most meaningful conversation of my life with that little girl. Oh. And I was like, what what does that mean? I like how did and she tried to explain it to me and all she could say was that little girl reminded me so much of myself when I was that age. Oh. It's really touching. So, I I almost never tell that. And and I uh 
So, so I, we said, okay, let's go camping again. This was beautiful. We had a great time. Let's go camping one more time. Four days later, we went camping, went to a totally different part of the mountains. And again, we packed very light, but it was going to be kind of cold this trip. And it looked like there was a chance of rain. It actually snowed on us. And, and so we had a shelter and a tent. So it was kind of chilly and we had this shelter set up and, and instead of climbing right into the tent and we were kind of, you know, had that kind of chill in the air. And I said, let's walk up to the top of that hill and we can warm up before, before climbing into the shelter. And she said, great. So we walked to the top of this hill. We get to the top of the hill, the sun sets. And as the sun's setting, three owls fly around us. And this, so the same exact thing happened, but before these owls were kind of, they kind of kept their distance. They would land on a tree over there somewhere. Uh, uh-uh, not this time. They landed on a branch right next to us. The, the one owl landed at our feet. I, so clearly remember the look of absolute astonishment on on Kristen's face where she was just like like a thunderstruck and i and 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 they were swooping above our heads and it was just amazing so we walked back down to the it didn't last as long but we walked back down to the shelter and and i didn't say it at the time but I'm saying it now. Both times we saw those owls, four days apart. I was with the same person, Kristen, both times. Both times I heard a voice in my head that said, this has something to do with the UFOs. And I didn't know what to make of that voice. I didn't trust it. I didn't know what it meant, but that was very clear in my mind. Now, after this trip, Kristen and I got, I was totally like, knocked silly by this event and i started researching owls their symbolism and uh their totem meetings and their spirit animal meanings and just i got totally immersed like i i got obsessed but at the same time i i had also been reading ufo literature and i also had events in my life in my youth and as a young adult that certainly implied ufo contact and by ufo contact it's abduction and and I wasn't going there. I was not going to deal with that. I was like, no way, uh-uh, not going to deal with this. I'm going to turn my back on this. I'm going to deny it. And so the the issue with the, with the owls was sort of interwoven with this issue with the UFOs. Like I had read Communion and I had read Bud Hopkins books and owls get mentioned all over the place in those books. And, and, and all, there, it's a small part of a big book, but it's, it's in there. So I knew that there was an aspect of this mystery that, that involved owls. And so I started looking into my own experiences. And the way I tell it is that, you know, like when you put a, a pot on the stove and you have water in it and you want the water to boil, there comes a point even before like the little, the, like the tea kettle, before the tea kettle whistles, there's a sort of tension in the room that that tea kettle is about to boil. And that was what my life was like. Because I, I, even though I was denying this stuff, in I knew there was going to be a day when I had to like step up to the plate and confront it. And I wasn't doing it. Like I, was, I wasn't going to make myself look into these things. But it was the owls. It wasn't me. It was the owls. that The act of looking into the owl as its spirit animal forced me to look into my own life as a possible abductee. Now the... 
like I started a blog in 2009 and that was almost completely about synchronicities. Initially it was just about synchronicities. And I, I that story I told about Kristen was the, one of the very first stories I put on the blog. And it's a nice story. It's just a pretty story about owls. I did not mention the UFOs in that story. It's just a nice story about owls. It's got a mystical kind of quality to it. And when, after I published it online in 2009, I got a hold of Kristen. Kristen had since moved away from the valley. And I called her up and I said, I just published this article or essay and a, a blog about synchronicity. And um, I got to ask, what were we talking about the night we saw the first owls? The very first night when we saw the very first owl, we were having a conversation. I was making dinner and we were talking. And, we, and I remember being really struck by that conversation. Do you remember what it was? And she said, I remember exactly what we were talking about. She said, I was trying to give my deepest definition of what God means to me. And now I was already kind of on shaky ground. I was already obsessed with looking into my own experiences and the owls and the UFOs and the mystical aspect of all this. And that her comment pushed me <laughs> it, it pushed me over the edge in a in a in a in a way, and I'm not at all like a churchy person, so I wasn't really like confronting the meaning of God so much. But I was very well aware of the sort of mythic power of what she was saying. She was giving her deepest definition of what God meant to her at the moment we saw those owls, and those owls, in my head, had a ringing message. This has something to do with the UFOs. So. In the in the that that blog, which started out about synchronicities, very quickly turned into UFO research, and it very quickly turned into me wrestling with my own experiences. It very quickly turned into me kind of using it as a sort of as a sort of open public diary as I wrestled with like, could this be happening to me? And I also started collecting owl stories and publishing them on the blog, and 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 what very what happened was anyone, anywhere in the world, this is 2009, which is 13 years ago now, anyone, anywhere in the world, if they had a story that involved a personal experience that involved a UFO and an owl, they could type owls and UFOs into Google, I would be the first thing that comes up. It still happens today. I'm the first thing that comes up, and I'm about the next 25 things down the list that comes up if you type in owls and UFOs. You can, anyone can try it. And and because of that, and right at the top of my blog, and right from the very beginning, I had a little thing on my blog and a little thing on my website that says, I want to hear your owl stories. So in the last 13 years, I have been actively collecting stories that involve owls. Sometimes they involve UFOs. I've been also collecting UFO stories that sometimes involve owls, but I'm but I'm presently I'm a little less clingy to the exact connection to UFOs and owls. But what I will say is that um, I have been archiving and putting these out there, and I've and now there's three books out that I published that have that are the the focus of them are owls, synchronicity, and UFO contact, and the mystical strangeness that comes with all that. Now, yeah, so you asked one question and I gave you a very, very long answer, but that's where I am right now, even today. I'm, I'm wrestling with the UFO and owl mystery in a very public way still. And, um, and it has been so rewarding. What should have been 
like what I expected, what I thought, what I assumed going into this is that, yeah, 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 I'll write like a magazine length article about owls and UFOs and sum it all up and I'll be done. And that is not what happened. I yeah. It has been a bottomless <laughs> pit and it continues to astonish me the power of these stories, the emotional, spiritual, mystical power of these stories. Well, I always said that if I wrote a, a memoir, I should call it The Universe Talks to Me in Birds. <laughs> um, because it, I see owls fairly frequently um, and uh, red-tailed hawks, other raptors too, um, and then crows. Crows, 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 crows. They're kind of my daylight bird, and then owls are the nighttime bird. And, uh, you know, it's funny when I was a kid, and it's probably because of the, the prevalence of the use of DDT, I hardly ever saw a uh, hawk or an eagle or an owl. I only saw an owl once when I was a kid, and, and I was always at my grandparents' farm out in the country, so, you know, it wasn't like I wasn't surrounded with forests and everything. Um, and I only saw hawks like two or three times back then. And it wasn't until uh, DDT was banned because what it did is it, it caused the calcium in the eggshells mm -hmm. when they, the birds would lay their eggs. It made it brittle and weak and um, they'd crack when the mother would sit on them. And so they, they weren't raising very many offspring. And, uh, I can't remember what year it was banned. I want to say 1975, 1976. It may have been earlier than that. Um, but now that I am an adult and through young adulthood, I, you know, if I'm driving somewhere and if I'm in the passenger seat or the driver's seat, I will see at least one or two hawks by the side of the road, you know, hunting, sitting on a tree, sitting on a fence post or soaring above um and you know part of that yes is that they're more out there yes it's because i know i i just am drawn to them and i see them so i i know where to look and how to look but i also think that that they carry messages of different things and it's just really you know i read your blog Oh, not exactly from the beginning because you had a fair number of posts. I want to say I started reading it in 2010. Oh, I was on, you, you yeah, know, it yeah. wasn't just one or one or two posts. It was a fair number of them. And I was like, this guy understands about the universe talking in birds, in bird language, <laughs> um, because they're, they're symbolic, but they're real animals but they're still symbols and I've had too many instances of a message coming with the bird, you know, that will jump into my mind when I see the bird, like you had the voice, this has something to do with UFOs, which, Hey, I don't mind you running away from that because I don't think I've been an abductee, but there are enough, funny little weird memories I have and things that it could be, but I don't like the thought of it. So when you said you were going to do everything you could not to think of it, not to look at it, I completely understand. 
uh, because that's uh, that's that's just a thing that is heavy, I guess. The idea of even if it's just your I don't want to say just your spirit or soul being abducted. That's not a little just thing, right? That's a big thing. Um, but whether they're physical or, or spiritual, they're, they're disturbing. That's a disturbing thought. So yeah, uh, I can completely understand you wanting to, you know, just not even think about that. Oh, oh, I was, but yeah. then you started thinking about it <laughs> and, and you've, you keep going. So when you saw those owls, those first three, what kind were they? Those are short-eared owls. And it's a pretty common form okay. of owl. Uh, they're not very big. They're maybe 11 inches tall total. And they're, um, mm -hmm. they have a, yeah, so they were, they were, and they were real owls. There's a, there's a, within the lore is the screen memory aspect. And, um, and I'm very convinced they were not screen memories. I've had a few UFO researchers like tell me to my face that I'm wrong and they were screen memories. And I, that's like, a, that's a tough thing to hear. Cause I, I'm like, I was there <laughs> and I was like, I was looking yeah. right at him and I was like, is this a screen memory? And like, Nope, this is a real owl. And so, um, and I've also been, uh, this is very funny. So that very same spot, I actually saw two owls one time, but that would have been years before that would have probably been, that might've been in the late nineties. Even the, the first owl I saw alive was, well, he was alive when I saw him, and, and he didn't last much longer than after I saw him, but he was a, a great horned owl, and he had flown into a barbed wire fence and was caught uh, on my grandparents' farm. And that was the first time I ever saw an owl alive and up close. And, uh, I, you know, I thought maybe my uncle had left a shirt out on the fence post and it got tangled. So I was, you know, running down the hill to get to that, and then it started to move, and then the shape was wrong, and and I I realized what I was looking at, so I um, ran, you know, turned around and ran back up the hill when its eyes snapped open, and you know I got my mom and my grandpa, and I'm like, it's alive, the the owl's alive. So he got his welder's gloves, and he got a pair of work gloves for my mom, and he got wire cutters and all kinds of stuff. And we tried to save him. And he worked on this poor owl for such a long time. And it, it was a, a very, I mean, the thing must have been terrified uh, and in horrible pain because he was hanging from his, his wings. And they were very just, just mangled up. And uh, my mom held held the feet with grandpa's welder's gloves on and he used the work gloves with the wire cutters to cut the wire out of the the bird's wings and uh we put him in a in a bushel basket covered it and my mom drove you know like crazy 45 50 minutes to charleston to the vet you know, we called before we left, and uh, he said he'd look at it, but, you know, he, he said it, it sounds like it's probably in shock, you know, but try to put something over it before you go to keep it warm. So I took a, like a 
like a thin blanket and just sort of packed it around him so he didn't have to stand, you know, and it kind of kept him warm. And he wasn't even trying at that point with his with his beak to lunge at me because I think he was just too weak and tired and I felt horrible for him. And, you know, we drove all the way to, to Charleston and my mom carried him in and the vet, you know, um, went back with him and said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put him down. I, I don't think he said those wings, I, I don't, there's no, you know, there's no way. And I was so sad and, and just, just, you know, it was so awful because he was the most amazing. That was the closest I'd ever been to a wild animal. And he just was gorgeous in a way that, you know, I could see all the, the texture of the feathers and all of the color variation. And I was just, just devastated. And, uh, and, uh, and it upset my grandfather. My grandfather didn't get upset about things like that very easily but it really upset him that we couldn't save him and uh so that was my first experience with an owl and I got pretty interested in them after that and so that's when I started reading about them and from that I started learning about all the different raptor species and and that's when I learned that you know about the DDT and all of that so that was my first experience with a real owl, and it was it was a tragic one, but that's that's pretty much the only tragic owl story I have, which is good. Oh, I have a lot of stories like that in my files of people rescuing owls and things like that. So that's very, I mean, it's very common. So owls do get hit on the side of the road, and oh, they or, do, or they oh, it's very common for them. And I think it has. I think that owls are looking for mice on the road, and when the car headlights come, the mice run across the road and things like that. I don't know that for sure, but that's very common that, that owls are found. And I, I ride my bike on the side of the road. And when I rode my bike on the side of the road in um, Idaho, I would find, I would think, you know, over 10 years or so, I found a, a couple owls that had been hit on the yeah. side of the road. So that's not uncommon. And I've certainly talked to many, many people who have had owls bounce off their windshield. So, oh yeah, and it's oftentimes at very prescient moments. Yeah, or or they come very close, and that's something different altogether. But, but yeah, owls can get hit, and owls can get caught in fences. So here's a story that has nothing to do with with UFOs, and I'm kind of jumping ahead. I'm kind of leapfrogging a little bit because this is kind of the one of the stories I feel like I end talks with, or I feel like it, you have to kind of warm up to the story, but. If the show is called Six Degrees of John Keel, I'm guessing that people are kind of up to speed with this stuff. So, yeah. so, so, uh, guy gets a hold of me. He's a Native American and he's from Michigan, where I'm from. And I, I've lived in Michigan, I haven't been in Michigan in years, but, um, or I, well, so I grew up in Michigan, but, um, and I, and he said he was, I think he was from the Huron tribe and there's a reservation in Michigan. I had no idea. And so I looked this up and the reservation doesn't look like, it looks like just a neighborhood up by, um, you know, like here, I'm pointing at my hand, uh, um, kind of in the lower peninsula, in the middle of the lower peninsula. And so, um, he, he said, Oh, I have an owl story for you. So I was, as a boy, I was living on the reservation and I had a kite. I was 12 years old. And I had this kite and and he said, I loved this kite. And it, it had a special 
it wasn't just a ball of string that he would wind up. It was it was a special little thing that he could wind the string with a little mechanism, and and it would, and so he was very skilled with this kite and he loved this kite. And something that happened that had never happened before, like a big gust of wind came along, whoosh, the kite went away, you know, got pulled up into the sky, and the ball of string and the mechanism just got dragged up with it. So the kite and the string just flew into this forest, and he watched where it went. And he got a friend. He said, "I want to find that. I want to find my kite. Let's go look for it." I kind of, you know, so they, they walked around the forest and walked around the forest, and they eventually saw the kite up in a tree. So they went to the base of the tree, and at the base of the tree was an owl, and it was all wrapped up in the string. Oh! So they got an adult. They went back and they got an adult, and they said, well, "This." So this adult came and they, and they cut the owl free from the string and the owl had been injured so they nursed it back to health and eventually released it and he told me this story and i i the first question i asked was are you a shaman and he said oh man in a word yes and then he told me some stories that i'm not going to tell here they were pretty they're like and his but then my sense was that this was not an easy path this no. was not that was was this was a tough dark chapter in his life and so so the role of the shaman was not an easy path and and the reason i asked are you a shaman was because of all the letters i've gotten where people have an experience like his not necessarily on an indian reservation or or in some sort of i i want to say um traditional setting you know, like, I mean, so these weren't people in the jungles of Brazil. These were people, and oftentimes they would say, yes, I am a shaman. So that was the reason I asked, was that I'd heard this story from shamans. Now, within the, you know, the shamanic community, the owl as a totem, the owl as a spirit animal is well understood. So here's a story. There's no UFO in it, but I, but it has the mood and the flavor of these UFO contact experiences. Now, I would also put the question to you. Okay, you had a very similar experience. You found an owl, caught in a fence, you rescued it. It did not survive. No. But that's, I mean, and I, my sense is, like, is there more power to that? Like, right, I mean, does did it give up its life for you? So I can't answer any of these questions, but I mean, in a mythic form i can i can i can take two steps back and i can look at a real life event and look at it through the lens of let's say a dream interpreter and look at this experience and see its dream logic and i would ask the question of you like are you a shaman i would i would call myself an animist but i have had shamanic training and i oh, have interesting acted as a shaman would which is helping a community you know using my ability to speak with spirits and walk between the worlds to help other people that's that's to me that's the definition of shaman now i don't have a tribe obviously not a not a, an indigenous a podcast <laughs> but i do have a podcast and there for a while um i was one of the most uh visible 
neo-pagan witch animist people in a small town because my husband and I owned a metaphysical bookstore. And so, you know, we would get questions and, you know, people needing help, people wanting to know why am I dreaming about this, people needing to rogue readings. Um, my, my favorite one time that, that we got all of these requests was we had gone to the grocery store at midnight and we went at midnight because that was when we got out of our uh, bookstore's uh, discussion group. It had been a very lively group. It started at 8, and we didn't get out until midnight. And uh, so we go to Kroger's, and you know we walk in. We're in the dairy case. And the man who's stocking the dairy case looks up, and he said, Oh, hey, hi, how are you? He's like, can... can can ghosts be animals? Can, are there animal ghosts? So that was the first question that we got that night. And I said, well, yeah. Yeah, they, they can. He said, because I just moved into a new house. You know, my, my wife and I bought this house. And there's a little white dog that, that's in the house. But it, it's not, you know, it, 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 it runs through the room, but it doesn't make noise. And he said, it'll jump up on the bed and you can feel it, but you can't see it. And I said, well, that sounds like you have a, a ghost dog. I said, did you ever have a little dog that looked like it? He said, no, it came with the house. And I said, well, does it bother you? He said, no. I said, well, then that it's, it's fine then. You know, <laughs> you, 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 do you want to do anything about it? He said, no, not really. I just wanted to make sure that that was a thing and that, you know, it was okay. And I said, well, does it feel okay to you? He said, yeah. I said, well, then it's okay. That was, that was my answer. I'm a very practical person. <laughs> I don't, I don't uh, whip out the magic unless it's absolutely necessary. And then the next person, uh, we were in the, the middle of the store at this point, and we saw a couple friends who owned a bead store. And... Uh, they were some of our oldest friends in town, and and they said, uh, "Hey, we have a crow." And I said, "What?" And I said, "This crow just started like it it landed on our uh, on our porch on the railing, and it just hangs out there." I'm like, "Is there anything wrong with the crow?" No, but I think that you know they're like maybe somebody raised him because he's. He's tame as anything. We've started feeding him, and, you know, he, he talks to us. He, you know, he, he caws in the morning, and he taps on our window if we don't come out and give him bread. And I how do you feel about the crow? And they're like, well, it's really cool. You know, we, we feel honored that we have a crow that's living with us. And I said, that is really cool. And, uh, you know, I, I just get a rattlesnake on my porch, and I don't get a crow, but... <laughs> You know, rattlesnake. The, a rattlesnake has got its own mythic power too. So yeah. Oh so yes, keep going. it does. Yeah. It does. <laughs> and uh, by the time we get to the checkout lane, I'm like, okay, things come in threes. And I looked at Zach, and he looked at me. He said, I was like, somebody's going to ask us something before we get out of the store. So it'll be three of them. And wouldn't you know it, the checkout guy said, "Hey, do you carry any books by Paracelsus?" And I was like, I looked at Zach. I was like, <laughs> I was like, so that's what it's like to be the village witch 
in the grocery store at midnight. <laughs> so, so why the question I asked was, are you a shaman? And, and, and I'm content with the answer being, you know, you know, like shaman is a heavy term. And, and yeah, you ask, sometimes you ask people, are you a shaman? And they'll say, that's a very personal question. And then I'm like, well, now I know you're a shaman. If that's how you answered it, you like, don't, yeah. they don't. So you can also answer like, well, I'm not quite a shaman, but there's shaman like things that yes. I'm doing. So, so once again, I'm just going to jump. This is probably, I know I told you this the last time we did our talk and I'm going to just jump right into the deepest waters and too bad if, well, I should let's so, so audience like do your best, keep up. <laughs> so, um, so I'm not, I'm doing research on owls and UFOs, right? So like this big mm -hmm. wide spectrum of, of, of the UFO phenomena. It's huge, all encompassing Tons and tons and tons of information. It's like, it's it's mind-boggling. It's too big of a topic for any one person to, you know, the, to, to be a generalist, right? Because... Right. So I'm I'm not a generalist, man. I am like myopic in my focus. I'm like, I'm looking at this like, a, like I'm obsessed with this little teeny sliver of this big thing, owls, right? So owls, like owls and UFOs. There's like, but it's there, it's there. It's part of this big mystery. So I'm looking at this little sliver and what I'm finding is like, wow is this weird? Like, wow, does this, this is like, this is the mystical, strange, elusive, dreamlike stuff is like, mm -hmm. is there in that little thing. So in that little sliver, so the people are coming to me, aren't telling me, you know, like, oh, I, I was like, a, you know, like a, you know, like I, I it's not that I'm not doing nuts and bolts research. Mm -hmm. So, when I talk to people on the, when I talk to people on the phone or through email, usually I'll talk to them on the phone and, and I'll, I'll have a piece of paper and I'll take some notes. I won't, I, I take the date, their phone number, their name, and then just a few key things in the conversation. So if I ever can't talk with them again, I have a piece of paper. I can just go to that paper and go, Oh, here we go. This is, these are so and in the corner of that page, I'll write Reiki. And I just wait. I just wait for it. And then and then at some point they'll say like, oh, then, you know, just, hey, you know what I just did recently? I just got my level three Reiki certification. Or like, I just, I'm working with a massage therapist and I have my own office where I do Reiki therapy now. And I'm just like, okay, this is, so I, I'm going to be very cautious because I don't have an accurate number for this. And I, and once again, so I am not a, I'm not looking at the big pool. I'm looking at this little sliver. So within that little sliver, I would cautiously put forth that 50%, it might be more, but I'll cautiously put forth 50% of the people that have a UFO and owl experience are Reiki therapists. And if they're not Reiki therapists, they'll, they'll, I'll say, Hey, do you do Reiki? And they'll say, well, what do you mean Reiki? And I'm like, well, hands-on energy healing. And they'll say like, one guy just basically said, well, I'm not sure, but my my wife was going through chemotherapy and she was having a terrible time with it. She was having terrible headaches and, and I could just generate a sort of heat from my hands and I could put my hands, I wouldn't touch her head, but I could, I could alleviate her, the, the symptoms of chemotherapy with my hands. And I'm like, well, okay, that sounds like Reiki to me. So once again, it's like maybe Reiki light or some other form of Reiki or so some form of healing. 50%. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll tell you what, you look at the normal cross-section of the population, whether it's America or the world, and it ain't without, it is not 50% of the people are Reiki therapists. 
I don't know what it would be. It would be tiny. I'm going to say like yeah, it would be small. Zero one or something like that. And then, but that's not what I'm finding. So that's really riddle, like, what does that mean? Like, there's a riddle there for me. Like, what, what's, what's going on? How, why, why, hmm. why is that there? Why is like half the people who have UFO and all experiences doing shamanic work or Reiki work or something along those lines? That's see. It, it has to be partially a cross section of people who are open to non-ordinary experiences, you know, or experiences that start out ordinary and then take a little turn and become non-ordinary, you know, after a, a little fashion there, you know, it kind of seeps in the edges and then it becomes weird. And I would, I would say end. that for my, like I was a materialist, you know, like I wasn't like, I was forced into this. Like yeah, this, I, and that, I was, see, yeah. So I was, that's what happens yeah. though. I mean, if you look at it from the old, um, shamanic traditions in in different tribes i'm being very general about this because each each indigenous population that has a shamanic tradition and i'm using the term shamanic in a very general way um because that is a specific term to the people in siberia the tungus people but it is it is a term for people who either move through different realities or can see into different realities or can negotiate energies that are non-ordinary to the benefit of their tribe, their, their people. So that's what I mean by shaman. And um, each tribe has a word for what that is that particular role is and most of the time you don't choose to be one it is chosen for you and it's not chosen by humans like you know it's not like the leaders of the tribe got together and said oh well you know billy over there well he looks like he'd make a good shaman or you know Cindy over there talks to the trees, so she's a shaman. It's usually the spirits that choose, and and the way that they choose is not always a gentle, um, beautiful Disney princess, the animals come and talk to you kind of way. Um, there's often a trauma involved. There's often a, an illness or a near-death experience or... Uh, some kind of uh, just, you know, a horrific happening of some sort. I would say a psychotic break, yeah. Yes, a psychotic it's break. At, at times, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what starts the ball rolling. And it doesn't always start in childhood. Um, it often does, but it doesn't always. Sometimes people are, you know, perfectly materialist, living in the, the material world, walking down the street, being perfectly normal get hit by a bus and they have a near-death experience and then when they you know come to in a in a hospital room and you know they're in ICU and they were in a coma and they go back home they realize well you know they can hear things that they couldn't hear before 
like people's thoughts or they can sense people's feelings or they have premonitory dreams or something like that. And so it isn't, it isn't always something that is happiness inducing, but it seems to be that those who are capable of it and who are deemed to be needed will be inducted or uh, indoctrinated or Initiate. uh, initiated is the proper term. And the those who do the initiating are generally not humans. They're they're the spirits. They're not, you know. And the initiation process is often a metaphoric death and rebirth thing where they'll take the young villager who had the psychotic break as a boy and lock him in a cave, you mm -hmm. know, and metaphorically, like he'll die metaphorically in the cave and they'll let him out or they'll, I mean, there's some brutal stuff where they'll beat him to near death yeah. or, you know, they'll, you know, so, so yeah, so there's, there's that, that now, okay, I'm going to, so I had, which I've been very, very open about talking about. I've been, I, so sometimes I bring this up. It's really funny. I talk about like, I think I've been abducted by aliens and people are like, oh yeah, they kind of follow my thing. And then I say, oh, and I also had severe clinical depression. I can see him get up, up, uptight. You know, <laughs> like, like, like I've crossed some social, like, oh, okay, well, I'm like, like, which is the worst social <laughs> taboo, you know? Okay. I'm so sorry. I'm laughing. It's not actually funny. No, I know except, it's, it's, except that people's attitudes are really funny. Yeah, people are. In that, I mean, you know. People are, I'm, you know, like there's social situations where bring, people bring stuff up and I'm like, oh, that's, that's a tough one to talk about openly in public. And so, so yeah, so I, but I've talked about it a lot. Like it's a one out of eight people have had, I think that's the number I've had some form of clinical depression in their life. And so, but like, wow, like it happened when I was 30 and the event with the owls happened when I was 44. So 14 years later, but like, that was a, that was a game changer for me to like, just changed everything, changed the direction of my life completely. And then 14, so that happened when I was 30, 14 years later, when I was 44, I had another experience changed the direction of my life. Then it was just seeing owls, went on a camping trip and saw owls twice, like my life changed radically like my life was never the same i was on one path had the owls there was no ufos actually there was ufos in the in the in the thought this has something to do mm -hmm. with ufos in the message my life just like made this right angle turn and i was never that was like nothing was ever the same so and i would also say that when i was 12 and when I was, you know, so when I was 12, I had a couple experiences, one of them which involved a missing time event and a light at night in the neighborhood. And I came home and my parents were angry at me and like, why are we out so late? And I'm like, I'm not out late. And they're like, it's 1130 at night. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's 930. I, you know, like I know exactly what time it is. And it wasn't 930. It was 1130. So sometime, somehow two hours went missing and I saw a bright orange light in the sky that night with a friend. Um, and then I also have a story uh, and I also saw that when I was that same age, 12 years old, I saw what looked like a coffee can in the sky. And I saw that with a, another person. Neither of those people remember it now, but they remember other things associated with that night that were, you know, my friend that I saw that I remember seeing the orange flash with does not remember seeing the orange flash, but he remembers that I got in trouble for coming home late. So mm. I don't, that doesn't make it corroboration, but it mean, you, you're immersed in these waters enough to know that like, yeah. you know, people remember things different. And, and so I'm not, it, 
it doesn't disprove anything. But um, so, and then um, now here, when I was 30, this was actually here. So I was, I had, I was in the throes of clinical depression. I had just started taking medication. This was before Prozac. So, I was going to say it was back when it was the not so great. Oh medication. God, yeah, it was a drug called. There was a drug called amipramine, and, and yep, it's, yep. now that is called a dirty drug. <laughs> it is. Like, it is horrible. Yeah. So, yeah. but it would. But it alleviated the symptoms. Like mm -hmm. it alleviated the symptoms of clinical depression. So, so now I. So I was uh, alone in this house in rural Maine, and I was kind of seeing the. You know, like I, like I was, I'd crossed the line where the drug was taking effect. And, and I, it was bad. It was bad, the, the, what I was going through. So, um, and I, so I don't want to sugarcoat this in, in, I mean, so I, that night I was not mentally healthy. Let's just say it that way. So I, I have, I'm leaving this open. Like, I don't know what happened that night. I, um, sat up in bed. There's a bright light pouring in the window. I looked out the window, the wind, the way the bed was pushed right up against the window. So all I had to do was sit up. I looked right out this big window into the yard, this rural main. So it was snow, it was wintertime. And there was a bright light and, it, and, and walking towards the house were five skinny gray aliens with the big mm -hmm. black eyes and the bald heads and the skinny bodies and little tight uniforms on. And they were walking right towards the house and I felt nothing. I felt nothing, either no emotion, it, I, the, I've said I, I was sucked dry. I was vacuumed clean of any emotion. There was nothing. And I looked at this. It was as bland as possible, which it should have not have been. Even in a dreamscape, I should have had some emotional response mm -hmm. to this. But I, and then I, um, I heard a voice in my head say, oh, yes, they're here. Now is the time to put your head on the pillow and shut down. And I just put my head on the pillow and went right to sleep. And I should have given the jumped up. I should have jumped up and locked the doors and got a baseball bat and you know and called the police. All the or things. All the things I should. Have. I just laid down and went right to sleep. Now, I will say that night, I, I the sense was like there was a sense of reality being distorted. And I've talked to some very conservative UFO. I of David Jacobs. I talked to him about this and and I just tried to describe the feeling of, of what it was like. And it was like, you know, it was like my head was in the fishbowl and there was this hyper clarity. It was like everything was super clear. Like I know what it means to dream, right? I, and I know, mm -hmm. and I and I never dream that I'm in my room and the room exactly matches, right? It's always distorted with some sort of dream, right. illogical yeah. dream yeah. overlay. So it, it matched perfectly my room. And and it was clear, clear, clear in a way that does not match normal reality. And it was weirdly quiet, and my mind was weirdly calm, and the 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 like like the normal thought chatter that I, I'm burdened with, and I think we're all burdened with all the time, just was gone. And, right. And so, and so here's a very conservative researcher, which I have problems with some of his conclusions. I think his research is. He's doing real research, but but he said, "Oh, you were you were in another reality. You were taken. You were in a you were in an altered reality. What what does that mean? I was in an altered reality, right? So I 
that that night has really troubled me and plagued me and and I would and and it would be very easy to say that because of my clinical depression I confabulated like my mind was already vulnerable which is true I was in a very vulnerable state and I um I just made it up uh there's a there's a woman in England she's been very private I don't want to use her name she was using her name openly for a while but I'll I'm not going to use her name. Um, she and I had a conversation and she had a close-up sighting of a UFO from a convertible. So she was driving in Los Angeles in a convertible and had a close-up sighting of a UFO. Incredibly powerful event. And and one of the questions I ask people is, have you ever had that distorted dreamlike feeling? And I fight to describe it. And she said, you know, when I was close to that UFO, when I was close to that that flying saucer, this is in Los Angeles, right near the, right near the, like right on the freeway, right, right near right. the, um, oh, there's a big famous building, the, the, the Capitol Records building. Mm-hmm. And, and she said, I was, I had this feeling and she said, you know, you take two magnets and you push them together and they go click and they lock together. Mm-hmm. And then you pull them apart and turn one of them 90 degrees and you try to push them back together and they won't go together. They're kind of like, they'll kind of. There's this warbly sort of energy and they yeah. repel each other. But there's that warbly energy, that kind of palpable. There's nothing to see. You look between, there's nothing to see between the magnets, but there's something going on and you can feel it mm-hmm. in there. She said, you know what it was like? It was like being in between those magnets. And when she said that, I was like, oh, you know, you know, that's the mm-hmm. perfect definition of what I was feeling. I was in between those magnets. Now, now, so... So here's another little thing that that I this is a conversation I had with someone, and so Bud Hopkins hypnotized me in 2007 or eight. It might have been 2008, and we tried to talk about that event of of the, you know, what I remember seeing out the window, and what I remember is what I remembered consciously, essentially. But it felt like in the in the hypnotic state. I had permission to say stuff that I'm basically too shy to say normally, let's say. And when I, that sense of, oh yes, they're here was like, wow. Was it like, this is familiar territory. This has happened before. And I had hinted at that and I danced around it. And it was like, and then I just said it out loud when I was under hypnosis. So I have that transcription. Now, do you know a fellow named Terry Lovelace? He wrote a book called Incident at Devil's Den. Yes. So yes. I talked with Terry in a personal conversation. And I said, you know what that felt like? It felt like if I was a boy and I had an aunt and uncle that I only see once a year. And they come to our house on Easter Sunday. Right? So... And but I'm I would look out the window one year, and their car would pull up and they would get out of the car, and then I, maybe a year later, I would be at the same window, same house, this car would pull up and the same aunt and uncle would get out of the car and walk towards the house. There would be that familiarity. Oh, they're here. They're back again. I'm like mm-hmm. I said that's exactly how it felt. It felt like as normal and mundane and as familiar as you know Aunt Sally and Uncle Joe getting out of their car on Easter Sunday. And he said that 
is exactly how it feels for what felt for me too in some of his his situations and now i hardly ever tell that account like that but that that was the sense of it so i am so cautious to truly know what happened that night but wow there's a lot of stuff in emotion connected to that night enough that i have to think something powerful happened so all of this stuff was in my life leading up to those owls in the mountains with Kristen, and i was like that's a powerful experience right so i had mm -hmm. that experience in 1990 the winter of 92 93 i think it was january or february of 1993 and and i never bothered to go out and look in the snow to see if there were footprints the next morning like i was like i just was like no way didn't happen uh-uh ain't going there yeah no way you didn't want and to at know the same, and at the same time i'm compulsively reading ufo literature so yeah it's yeah, I'm, I'm, so I'm in, now here I am, this is many years later, I'm still immersed in this research, I'm still collecting these owl stories, I am getting, I'm cautious to say this, because it ebbs and flows, most days of the week, I get what I call like an A plus story, I get a lot of people say, hey, I saw a beautiful owl in a tree, it was just great, oh my, and I'm like, okay, well, that's all well and good, but that's like in a different category, when people have these transcendent right. stories that like blow right. your mind, and um. And I'm less locked into the UFO connection and more just open to the mystical, spiritual con connection between owls and, and just human experience. I've come to see, like, um, like you said it right away. You said it right in the beginning. You said, like, these birds are messengers. You mm -hmm. said as plainly as can be, and what that's the title of the book didn't I didn't make that up. It like people I just would get these these reports, and people would say, well, "I saw an owl," and then halfway through the letter, they stopped referring it to as an owl. They would say, "Then the messenger sat on a on a branch outside my window, like mm -hmm. he just jumped." And they start, well, like I didn't have to like think of anything for the title. That people gave it to me. That shows up all the time. I have a um. Uh, I got like fifty stories I could tell. So here's one that's like, like doesn't have a UFO in it, but it has everything to do with this UFO contact thing. Guy gets a hold of me. He's in, um, I think he's in New England, and he gets up really early every morning. His job is to wax the floor at the grocery store. He's got the big spinny waxy thing that you push and you go up and down the aisles, and it makes the linoleum all shiny. So he says, "It's a great job. I'm done it. Like before the, you know, like I do, it's easy. There's no one in the store. I can do. I'm all alone. But every morning when I when I would go to the grocery store." I would stop in a field and I would get out of the car and I would meditate. I would, I would make a plea to the universe. I'd stand in the same field. I'd make a plea to the universe. Like, how can I help the universe? How can I help humanity? Like it was, it was, it was this manifestation. He would meditate. He would, and he would just do it in this field all the time. And, it, and, and then one day it was 20 degrees below zero. He's driving to work. Cold, New England, freezing, He's like, I'm not going. I'm not getting. I'm not getting out of the car this morning. No way. <laughs> so he's driving along, and he's like, not getting out of the car. Nope. And then he looks ahead, and there's this little. He thought it was a paper bag in the road. And then all of a sudden, the paper bag turns and looks at him, and it's got these big eyes, and he's like, that's an owl, and he squashes it on the road. <gasps> oh. So he stops the car and gets out, and this is very common. Like he felt bum bum. He yeah. felt it. 
gets out, there's nothing. There's no blood, there's no feathers, there's no owl. Mm. This is very common. Boy, I have this a lot. <laughs> People say, I squashed the owl and then I couldn't find the owl. Or the owl hit the windshield so hard, I don't know why there's not blood in the windshield. There's no feathers, no, there's no owl. So, and he's standing there, freezing cold. He's at the meadow where he meditates every morning. Got out of the car, didn't he? He got out of the car. He said he wasn't getting out of the car. He got out of the car. Yeah, like I just feel like the Zen master, like like when the meditating student isn't doesn't sit upright. Yeah, he you know, gets the, whacked. He gets whacked head. with a special stick, you know. And so, yeah, I feel like the universe just was like, oh, yeah? Like you're not going to, you're not, okay, well, like, let's see how this goes for you. Like you're getting out of the car whether you want to or not. And so they sent an owl as a messenger. And it sounds like it was a, I, I mean, I wasn't there. I can't go. I mean, it's like, there should have been, by all accounts, there should have been a dead owl on the road. There was nothing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There should have been. I've never hit a bird. Um, I've had, that's not true. Actually, that's odd. Um, I've had several instances like, oh, say probably almost 30 years ago, Zach and I were driving late at night here in Athens County. And we were going home late from our bookstore. We lived out in the country. And a, uh, a white barn owl just swooped down, was right in front of our windshield, and then swooped back up, didn't hit the car, but we saw its face, you know, and, you know, <laughs> poor Zach, he was driving. Ah! You know, what was that? It was like, oh, it was an owl. That's really cool. And, uh, you know, nothing too weird. Ha- I mean, weird stuff was happening all the time in those years in the 90s when we lived here before and uh so i can't i can't pinpoint something weird that it was pointing towards just that it, yeah it was always weird at that time um there was another time that i was taking a friend to go pick up his car that had been repossessed and uh well actually we were getting his uh film camera out of the car uh and uh then he was going to get it get it back and we're driving along, and a hawk had seen a, a a rat in the center of the highway in that center strip of grass, and it swooped down just as I was driving, and it did the same thing as the owl. It, it hit the airstream and just sort of went back up over the car, didn't hit it. But the one time I did hit a bird was Christmas Eve, and I was driving from... Maryland to my parents' house in West Virginia to see Morgana, who was at that time 10 or 11. Um, and my Zach was with me. My two Huskies were in the back of the car and we're driving. And this huge black bird had been in the middle of the road And I slowed down because I'm not going to hit a bird. And it literally jumped up and flew right at the windshield and then hit the top of the car. And Zach looked back to see it if it, you know, fell by the side of the road or whatever, but it made a huge thump. And we never saw anything. 
And later, when we got out to to stop at a rest area, there was no dent or blood or feathers or anything. And it was a huge black bird. We couldn't figure out, you know, was it a crow? Was it a vulture? You know, it was in the wintertime, so it shouldn't have been a black vulture. Those are only around in the east in the in the summer. And mm-hmm. they migrate, yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't, uh, it didn't look, it wasn't the right shape for a crow. So we were like, what the hell was that? So we're driving and we're driving and we get to Cumberland. Right outside of Cumberland, my car stops. It fails. It just stops. And it will not restart. And uh, we had been talking about, you know, big black birds or death omens. My car died. We lucked into uh, getting someone to tow the car to a garage in Cumberland and we lucked into a rental car five minutes before they were going to close on Christmas Eve. So we actually made it to where we were going to go. But I do find it odd that we were talking about a death omen and then the car died. At least we didn't die. (laughs) So we did make it. The, The dogs made it. And, you know, we got to see Morgana and bring her back for a visit in Maryland, but we had to stop in Cumberland and pick up my car. So that was, that was the one time I hit a bird, but we still didn't find the body. Yeah. And I'm just going to say like dream logic, you know, that Christmas, well, well, that's a highly charged day. Yep. You know, so highly charged. It's a, it's a connected to the winter solstice so yeah mm-hmm. there's a there's a, a highly charged day so yeah so i i'm looking at these events <clears throat> like i'm i'm i make i'm sure i make nuts and bolts researchers crazy but but i take three or four steps back and kind of go like whoa okay what's that's the what's the what's the symbolism that shows up here what's the dream imagery that shows up here so i have a lot of reports that take place on christmas day i mean uh willie streber yeah. christmas day eve or christmas day willie streber's event took place on those initial yeah. event in upstate New York, which defined what we now call UFO contact or UFO abduction took place on Christmas night. Yeah. So it, um, in the snow, then, uh, was, there's lots of snow in these stories too. Interestingly. Well, yeah. So certain times, yeah. So there's lots of snow all over the world at certain times of year. So there's, but there's a, and then also the Rendlesham forest event took place, at, and, yeah. which I'm cautious. I think, wow, that, like I'm not sure what happened with that event. But something happened, but something yeah. happened, and it happened at Christmas time. So, um, and I got a lot of stories to take place at Easter, and so yeah. So this these these events are very mysterious. Um, here I'll tell one more. This is another one that that like I've I've kind of like enjoy telling the ones that don't have UFOs in them, but this one. Uh, well, here I'll just tell one first that that's roughly related to UFOs. So. John Mack, back in the 90s, had his very first meeting at his home where he had what would be called like a UFO support group. He had all the people he'd been working with, and he invited them over to his home, and they all sat around and talked with each other and had, you know, what they would call a support group. So the very first support group meeting by John Mack at his home in in Massachusetts, the people leave the event and uh, I think it was snowing. Maybe I'm, but so they, they leave the event and and they get in the car 
and they kind of look at each other in their driving way and they said, wow, well, what'd you, how'd you, what'd you think of that? And as they had this owl flew in front of the car and flew in front of them, a white owl, a snowy owl, which is very rare to see in, mm-hmm. was flying in the winter, leading them down the street wow. from John Mack's house. And the way they described it, it seems like, though it's hard to say, it seems like the owl was waiting for mm-hmm. them to leave. So there's like, that's got a UFO connection to it, that owl and UFO. So a room full of, U- a room, excuse me, a car full of UFO abductees has a powerful mystical experience with an owl. Mystical in the sense that they all felt it. They all felt like, wow, this is a sign. Mm-hmm. Like nobody kind of just said, oh, that's just an owl. Like they all felt the power of it. Um, here's another story that, this one does not have a UFO in it, but the guy has, so uh, this guy gets a hold of me and he says, I had a powerful experience and I was in my backyard meditating. He lives, he's an apple orchard. His family has an apple orchard and they run, they grow apples and sell apples. So they, he, and there's a spot in the back where he likes to meditate and there's a fence and right next to the, it's right, there's a forest right there. So you kind of the corner in the back of the orchard where the forest is. So he's meditating and there's a there's a powerful screeching shrieking sound comes barreling out of the out of the forest and it's like gives him the creeps like this hair on the back of his neck like stands up and he's like every part of him wanted to run away he's like I got to get out of here that's as creepy as I've ever heard and and he says no I'm I got to face this I got to figure out what this is so he gets he walks into the woods and there's a barred owl which they have a loud call and it can yeah. be spooky so there's a barred owl on a branch and this barred owl looks right at him and goes rah, 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 and scratch screeches and scratches and like chews him out <laughs> like he's basically said so this thing was like yelling at me this thing was like chews me out right there and like and then it flew off and he went back to his family went to the house and the dinner's getting ready and and he's like he's like mike tells his wife like i had this experience with this owl and it like looked at me in the eyes and it it like spoke to me and it was like chewing me out. It was yelling at me. And, and the wife says, oh, that's nice, honey. Can you set the table? He's like, oh, she doesn't get it. So the kids are at the table and they're like, you know, he says, I was just in the forest and this owl like was on a branch looking me straight in the eye and was squawking at me. And they're like, dad, like, so they like, oh, they don't get it. They totally don't get it. So after dinner, he gets his camera and he goes back in the forest. And he stands in the same spot. And he says, my family doesn't believe me. I need a picture. <laughs> and the owl flies up, lands on a branch, and he gets a picture. I use this picture in my talks. It's a barred <laughs> owl, clearly a barred owl. And I asked him, so the question I asked him was like, what were you meditating about? Like, I was meditating if there was a God. Well. <laughs> <laughs> like, how dare you ask such a question? Squawk, squawk, squawk. You like, know better than that. <laughs> yeah. So like, like, what, like, that's dream language. Mm-hmm. This is as playful as it gets. And I'm 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 like I'm drawn to these kinds of stories in particular. And the problem is I have a I have a lot of these stories and some of them are so complicated that it takes a half hour to tell them. So the stories I am telling are the short ones I can you know rattle off in a minute or two. But within these stories is a power and a mystery and whether there's UFOs or not. Now I'm I'm at the point now where I see the owl like people will say like when i did the first book so richard dolan edited my first book and and he would 
call me at night and 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 he was really funny he would like mike mike this is like i'm loving your book i'm just loving your book it's just great i'm really but when when do you get to the part where you like we get to the conclusion and you like bring forth the argument and you and you, and you say what owls mean and I'm like <laughs> we're on the phone like well rich you're gonna be kind of disappointed because it ain't gonna happen like i i have no ideas what owls mean and he, he didn't like that answer so uh <laughs> so i did a second book and he was kind of editor and publisher of the second book and he he calls me on the phone and like or we have to talk he's like mike you are not getting away this time you do not get away you do not get away without giving you have to give a reason you have to give a meaning to what owls mean and so i came up with four reasons which are kind of all blurry and kind of mushy and kind of like easy to so one would be owls are alarm clocks that's my that's an easy one right owls are here to wake you up boy i have a lot of stories about people being woken up by owls including mm -hmm. me and then the will wake you up metaphysically philosophically to like like the owl and the camping with Kristen. the owl woke me up changed my life and then the other one would be i gotta hope i can do all these off the top of my head um the owls are a totem of the transformational process right so that's like transformation like i changed that night in the mountains with Kristen. people tell me these stories and they say like oh i had a powerful owl experience i changed and the other one would be the owl is there as part of an initiation and specifically a shamanic initiation is is it is it and then there's a fourth one and i'm drawing a complete blank on it right now but it it kind of parallels the the owls as alarm clock it's just it's just like a different way of saying owls are here to wake you up so um and i'm you know what i'm seeing so like and i'm the owl is to me at this point after so I've you know thousands of reports, thousands of conversations about owls, like weird, weird, beautiful, powerful stories. Sometimes scary, sometimes mystical, sometimes heartwarming, sometimes sad. Owls are associated with UFOs, with meditation. I have a lot of stories about owls and meditation. Owls are associated with shamanic initiation. A lot of people taking mushrooms, psychedelics, specific, mm -hmm. specifically mushrooms and seeing owls. And mm -hmm. often in a ritual setting, not like, you know, party. Like I went to high school in the 70s. It was a, like there's a different kind of experimentation with psychedelics in that chapter of history. But, uh, and then owls and death. So yep. death is a transformational process. So it kind of blurs with the other one. So I am now looking at the owl less as a being connected to the UFO and more being connected to a highly charged human experience, right? Mm -hmm. Powerful shamanic initiation can change your life, transformative experience. Death is the ultimate transformation. So, so it's not that the owls are interwoven with the UFO. The owls are interwoven with a highly charged human experience and, and UFOs are just one of many highly charged mm -hmm. human experiences. You know what I'm not finding? I got, I got, some and they're so fleeting and they're i am not i want to it should be there but it's not i can't find it owls in the near-death experience hmm. I got, I got, I'm, it's not showing up like there might be some out there nobody's got a hold of me so if anyone out there's had an owl and near-death experience story come find me because i want to hear it and it should be so i'm kind of like i would love to like make that connection but i can't um simply doesn't show up but um uh 
So I'm now looking at the owl as, you know, so if you have an exclamation point on your keyboard, it's right mm -hmm. above the one, you know, so you have your keyboard. This is a benign thing. There's no emotional power to your keyboard. You can type a story with emotional power using this tool. And if you really want to punctuate that story, you really want to punctuate a sentence, you take your finger and push that key that has the exclamation point on it. There's no emotional power. This just It's just a thing, right? Mm -hmm. We've got no emotional investment in this keyboard, but that that you can write a powerful story with the keyboard and you can punctuate it with an exclamation point. I'm seeing the owl in a way as the, the that key on your keyboard. It's there to punctuate a moment in life. It is there to punctuate something. And I am certain that people all throughout human history had that same experience where they would they would leave the cave, have a powerful mystical experience with an owl. I don't know, hopefully back way back when there would be some sort of shaman or there's some village elder. There would be someone at the edge of the village or someone living in the cave with them, someone that they could go to and say like, oh, what does this mean? And there may be traditions in their culture that would describe it. It might not be the same tradition as the village in the next valley or over the next hill, but I bet you it would be similar. And that's where I'm convinced that's where our mythology of the owls arose from, was from these real life experiences. The owl showed up. Someone was having a moment in their life that had resonance, mystical power, might have been a magical event of some sort, and the owl simply showed up the same way so I'm saying that the scriptwriters of reality are punctuating the human experience with an owl at the appropriate moment to maximize the, the effect. I have no evidence of this. I'm just saying, well, I do have evidence of it, and I am kind of putting like, but I'm I'm putting it together less as a as a pragmatic researcher and more as a as a poet or a folklorist. Mm -hmm. Let's say let's say a folklorist is a better way to say it than a poet. Now, um. The owl all throughout human history has been associated with, well, it's obvious plainly associated with the night, right? Mm -hmm. Owls fly in the darkness. They have, we as Westerners, now that it's the 21st century, we can say, well, their eyeballs are highly evolved because of evolutionary processes and they can see in what we would consider total darkness and they can fly through the forest, through the trees in what is essentially zero light mm -hmm. that must have seemed magic to ancient man and so there was a magic imbued into the lore of the owl the owl flies into the darkness that becomes a metaphor for flying to the land of the dead for flying to the land of the gods for flying to the land of the ancestors and not only does it fly there it then comes back with a message mm -hmm. so we have um uh, Athena, goddess Athena, the goddess of wisdom. She has a companion little owl. That's why we have owls. You know, when kids graduate from kindergarten, they have little owls thumbtacked to the bulletin board. That's that's Athena. That's Greek mm -hmm. mythology. That's that's been around for three thousand years. So we have. So the owl. That's that's. There's not so much. That's a messenger imbued into the to the lore is the messenger 
turn the clock forward to present day, we have Harry Potter, the most popular books in the history of publication. Harry Potter has an owl that delivers the mail. It is perfect. It is the same mythology alive today. It's still there, mm -hmm. still with us. The owl delivers the mail. Owl as messenger. It's this it's right there, right at the forefront of our of our of our pop culture. Like we it's it's a it's a myth, right? So we don't we don't have to overanalyze it. We can just watch read the Harry Potter books and be and be captivated by the power of the story. And it's just part of the story. We don't have to like analyze it. We don't have to subject it to tests or anything like that. So it's there. It's right there, part of our culture. And and I'm saying that has been there since the very beginning. And this, these experiences that I've described through other people's stories, through my own stories, through your story, these are part of the human experience. And that's, so it's an ancient mythology showing up now. Mm -hmm. And in, in, in um, it's still here today. We don't have shamans. We don't have someone at the edge of the village that can offer solace or help. What we have is Google now. So if you have an owl and UFO experience, you find me. I'm not a shaman. All I can do is tell the people, like, you're not alone. That story is very common. You know, so in a, that's all I can really offer is to tell people that these, I cannot tell you how many times I have typed. Though I haven't heard your story exactly, I have heard many stories with the same flavor or mood, mm -hmm. which is true. People, I get a different story every time, but wow, do they feel the same. Yeah. 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 So. The, the most recent owl experience was actually two weeks ago. Oh, and, very good. Uh, two weeks ago, I had COVID. Um, and uh, Morgana had had it before I did. I, I actually caught it from her. She didn't know she had it. And I contracted it from her. And then Zach, my husband, contracted it from me. So we were in the stair step, you know. So she was getting better about when Zach was really coming down with it and, and doing badly. And I was just kind of, you know, not good, not great. So she was, she was picking up uh, groceries, you know, picking up the grocery order. Uh, in her car or at, you know, doing the drive-through prescriptions and stuff so that, you know, she really didn't want me driving around even if I wasn't going in anywhere because I had vertigo really badly with it. So she would bring stuff and, and drop it off in the kitchen and leave so that I wouldn't, like, reinfect her because she was actually starting to get better. So, well, one day I, I woke up because I slept so much with this this mm -hmm. virus. It's it's just it's a killer for for uh just saps all of your energy. Yeah, I had it too. My energy was zero. It know? was just crap, isn't it? It's just severe ugh. fatigue was unbelievable. Yeah. 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 And I still have it. That's hanging around. I don't approve of it. Uh anyway, and uh with the the prescriptions on the counter was a feather and I picked it up and I looked at it and it's an owl feather. It's one of their uh, secondary wing feathers with that rounded exact rounded tip because owls feathers broaden at the bottom and their 
tipped such that that's how they fly silently. Mm-hmm. And so there's this owl feather right there. And I was like, well, I guess we're going to get better. And so I, I, I called her. I said, where was the feather? She said, it was right in your, in your driveway, right in front of the house. It like it had just dropped right there. I was like, okay. So we got a we got an owl feather, so it's it's sitting on my altar now. You know, hopefully oh. no one from Fish and Wildlife will hear me saying that because that's illegal. But I know I've got a few I got I'll be careful <laughs> what I say here is what I share. So um yeah. I so that's like so I have like one I got a story which is, you know, dad has a heart attack and they took him to the, you know, this, the ambulance arrives. And so the, the, I think it was the daughter of the, of the man climbs in the back of the ambulance and the ambulance doors are like open in the driveway and they're both open and she's looking out and there's an owl staring in at them. Oh, and they close the doors and the father died. So the, it's not, yeah, there's like, I don't want to, I'm not good. You're, you're all getting better. So I'm not saying that, but I'm just, I'm not saying yeah. that to spook you out, but I mean, as far as the owl lore, it's symbolic of death. Too. Oh Yeah. Yeah. So death can be a metaphoric death, can be death and rebirth too. So, so as a dream logic, right? Someone says, "I had a dream where someone died," and I'm like, "Well, they, uh, you know, that could be." Metaphoric. Doesn't always mean. Yeah. yeah. So, um, oh, there was one more story I was going to tell. Oh, um, this is this has a UFO in it. This story. So, a woman contacts me. I talked to her on the phone for a while. She says, I was driving home, I was on my phone with my dad, and I pull into the driveway, and I thought there was a little kid standing in the driveway. But it turned out to be an owl. And this owl flew up into a tree. And and I get and I yell to the house, and I tell my son, come out here, come out, look at this owl. And so the son comes out, and, and this owl flies off and touches her head. And the little boy is, or the young, he's a teenager, was like, mom, are you okay? That owl just like touched your head. She's like, oh, no, it was so soft, it was so gentle. It touched my head, but it was so gentle. That's amazing. And a little while later, a couple of days later, she's hiking with a friend and they do, they were coming back and the sun had gone down and she said, oh, well, that happens sometimes. We, the sun had gone down and we finished the hike in the dark and we get to the car and we look up in the sky and there's these lights passing over and she sent me a picture and I'm going to be, you know, like I'm really cautious to try to do any kind of analyzing of photographs. It looks like some lights in the sky. could have been yeah. anything. Yeah. With some dots of light taken with a cell phone. I've, I've taken said, those pictures and, and they don't prove anything to anybody. Yeah. They, yeah. But there's certainly lights in the sky mm-hmm. that, you know, that were separate from the stars. And then she said, oh, and then um, everything in the parking lot turned red. The trees yeah. turned red. The asphalt turned red. The cars turned red. And I'm like, oh, well, what? And she has pictures of that, too. <laughs> so I was like, well, OK. And OK. That's weird. And I've heard that before that everything changes color that shows up in the UFO literature a little yeah. bit. It's rare, but I've heard it. And then I say, the questions I ask, here's the questions I ask. What was happened right before the event? What happened right after the event? How has your life changed? That would be part of what happened after. And then what are your psychic skills? So what happened before the event? Like what happened right before the event? Like what happened right before you saw that owl? So I was talking to my dad on the phone. It's like, what were you talking about? It's like, well, I was donating my kidney. I was uh-huh. my, my dad, I was going to donate my kidney. I'm like, okay, well, what happened after? So I donated, I gave my kid, I went to, through surgery and donated my kidney. She tells a story that she 
so her son plays Little League. She was at the Little League game. A mother in the neighborhood. She knew a little bit, not well, sitting there watching the baseball game together. And the and it comes up that the mother is needs a kidney donation. Basically, she's going to die if she doesn't get a kidney. And the lady says, I'll give you mine. And the lady says, oh, it's not that easy. We have to be compatible. We have to match. And like, what's involved? And he said, well, you have to have a blood test and see a doctor. And like, I'll go see a doctor and get a blood test. So she goes to the doctor, gets a blood test. They compare it to the other woman who wasn't. You know, and the doctor comes afterwards and says, is this your sister? Oh, wow. And she's like, no. So it has to be compatible. She said, wow, this, you know, like, I've, this is like you two. Like, I would, if I would cautiously say you're twins, but it certainly seems like your sisters. And she's like, no, like just someone in the neighborhood I know. So she gave the kidney away and the, she, her health is fine. The woman's health is fine. So I don't have to ask her. Like, I don't have to yeah, ask yeah, if she's she, a Reiki therapist. I yeah. don't have to ask if she's doing healing. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, like, you Clearly. don't, you're, that doesn't get any more, you know, as you cannot state it plainly enough that she was selfless in the act of helping someone heal. Yeah. It's tied up with the UFO and the owl. Like I, these are the stories that keep me moving forward. Like, like these are the, there is. I am so heartened by these stories. There's other stories. I mean, that are equally as powerful, but they just take too long to tell. And then I will also say that I want to be really careful because I know people who have had dark, dark traumatizing experiences and i don't want to belittle their stories like right. i i in the books i purposely share some pretty dark frightening stories and i have to do that because the the people like i don't want to i don't want to alienate anyone and if they did like i'm not saying this is all love and light no i'm I, saying within, yeah i'm saying within this narrow band of owls and ufos are some powerful I'm going to like mythic the, there's a term there's a, there's a Jungian therapist and he used the term, which I love. Uh, he used the term mythopoetic. Mm -hmm. There is a mythopoetic quality to some of these stories. Yes. And that is what I'm, I am on fire trying to make sense of. And then I will also say trying to share, it doesn't do me any good to like have a bunch of stories in, in a, File cabinet. Yeah. Like that's it's serving no one to have that sit in the file cabinet. Hello, MUFON. This is a this is a directly you know, like Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm trying my best to share those stories and I cannot share all of them. Oh my god, I've got so I mean I I could go to here's one more. This is this is this is a funny one. Woman there's no UFO in this one. Uh she contacts me. I just got my Reiki thing i just got my reiki certification so like right beginning of the story like i'm got my she was celebrating she's happy she's got a reiki therapy she goes out on a walk she takes the same walk all the time she passes this point in the trail she's like i never noticed this spur trail this little trail that breaks off from the main trail i'm gonna follow it so she walks down this trail like not the main trail and she sees an owl and a hawk and the hawk is totally harassing the owl. The owl oh is God. like sitting there on the tree and the hawk is like totally harassing. Like there's like, like, it's like, I don't want to say combat, but wow, are they like that hawk is totally agitated. And she says, I know Reiki. I'm going to soothe this experience. 
and she starts doing she starts going through the steps of reiki projecting gentle soothing peaceful energy and this hawk flies right up to her lands on the branch right next to her looks her right in the eye and basically it just thinks squawks at her and she basically says the uh, the message i got which was unmistakably clear was this hawk was saying you stay out of this this is between me and the owl you are not welcome you don't know why i'm mad yeah so that you don't know what that owl has done yeah. yeah i have a story of a so here's another so i have a story there's this woman she goes by the name joja lee she is very much a ufo abductee she's very open about it she's spoken publicly about it she's and i will I, this, like I've met her many times at conferences. This woman has a gentleness and a grace about her. And also I'm going to say like a, 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 a forthrightness, like a confidence to her too. She's now, as last I heard, she's in a Buddhist monastery. Like this is a dedicated spiritual person. And she, this, so she was working um, as an animal rescue, doing animal rescue. For like the veterinarian services, she got to recall that there was an owl in a tree. And there was something wrong with the owl, so she goes to the tree, <clears throat> and there's a and I have pictures. She's got pictures of this. This is on my website. This is in my third book, and in the tree is an owl, and there's something else. There's like these bunches of feathers. So I was like, she's like, what is going on up on that tree? And so she's like, there's a there's a red tail up there and there's an owl sticking out from under this other thing and she puts the ladder she's got this big ladder on the truck she puts the ladder against a tree and then when she puts the ladder the tree shudders and this dead hawk falls out and lands at her feet and the and the and the owl flies away and lands in a branch so there was a battle of some sort of there's some battle between an owl and a hawk and the hawk died the owl killed the hawk yeah and she, and there was a mate. So owls, excuse me, hawks mate. Mm-hmm. Hawks are often seen in pairs. So there was a female hawk nearby in another tree. Just like, just watching the whole thing. Oh. And and so the female hawk, and so she starts crying. She says a prayer. She talks to the other hawk. She, she and she, and she recognizes the mythic quality of this. This is a, and I said, what was going on in your life leading up to this event? She said, the night before, I was grieving my dog that died. And in the process of doing so, I, I asked three questions of the universe. And she wouldn't share what those were. She said two of them were answered. And this happened the night before. So she was meditating and she put a plea out to the universe with three questions. And she was also grieving her dog. And she, this this heart-rending, heart-wrenching experience of the dead hawk and the owl happened to a UFO abductee. Wow. This is, this is, yeah. and she was like, right up front, like this was a, I was like living a myth in that moment. Yeah. See that, none of this seems terribly strange to me because as I said, Birds give messages to me all the time, and animals. I've always, you know, one of my 
one of my things I used to do as a child is I would go into the woods and I would just find a perch and sit there and just essentially disappear into the woods and sit so still and quiet that the animals and plants and everything would just do their thing as if I wasn't there. And so I, I would get to watch utterly fascinating things. Like I, I sat up on a hillside. Well, actually, I was really laying on the hillside. It was a steep one. And I could see down, and there were like two families of rabbits playing in the in the grass. And, and they didn't act like I was there at all. It was only a few feet away from me. And that was the first time I saw a hawk up close because... It came screaming down out of the sky, like a like a bolt, straight for a rabbit. And at the last moment, right before you know, I could see its claws. Right before it was gonna, you know, grab that rabbit, it saw me, because I was laying so still. It it hadn't seen me before, and I must have moved or twitched or something. And he did a U turn and went straight back up. And I was like, wow, I saved a rabbit. <laughs> You know, I was like, hawks got to eat. But, you know, I kind of saved a rabbit because I just was there. And I was like, you know, it felt so special to me. And I, I tried to explain it to uh, my mom, you know, how amazing that was to to see. It was like being part of a, a nature documentary, but it was real life, not on the TV screen. And she didn't really... I don't know. I just, I was young enough that it, maybe I just couldn't describe it well enough that she could get it. But, you know, to me, that kind of mythic living is just normal to me. But, well, these are, these are normal stories in the sense that these are the yeah. stories that have happened all throughout human history. So people say, like, this was so weird. This was the strangest thing ever. And, yeah. I, and, I, and my role is to say, this is not strange. This is part of the human experience. And my, from my research, from everything I've, this is not strange. This is normal. This is part of what, so if you were a, like a, you know, living in a village in South Dakota and you had a powerful experience watching the, the hawk and the rabbit, you know, and you went and talked about it to your, to the, around the campfire, no big deal. This is, this yeah. is, this is the workings of, of our connection to nature and our connection to the grander tapestry of the universe. And and that may be why people tend to think it's weird because they don't feel connected to nature. But this happens to or, people. Or connection to, to the mystical, let's yeah. say, too. Yeah. yeah. They don't feel the, that same connection. And so it's it's not, to them it's weird. But then that just changes their life right there because they do suddenly get the touch of nature and the the mystic reality that is all around us but not necessarily noticeable to everyone and so that to them yeah that is probably why people think of it as weird yeah and i and i try to correct people and i still do it i mean i'm still a shock and so I, <clears throat> at this point i'm you know, it was not serving me. I, I say this in the, like, so 2006 is when I saw the event with uh, Kristen. And 2013, I had what I call my my awakening experience, my confirmation event. 
And after that, like everything was different, right? So, mm-hmm. but I say from between 2006 to 2013, I spent 95% of my waking hours wondering if I had gone insane, right? So like yeah. is the like like my junior high school science teacher presented an idea of how the universe works and that's not how the universe was working for me. Like I was having so many synchronicities. I was having synchronicity to me as a mystical event. Yes. So many. I was having seeing so many owls. I was having such immediate confirmation. I would ask a question to the universe. Boom, it would answer before I finished answering the question, asking the question. I was like, I was, I was astonished at the power of these events. I, I, I no longer can allow myself to be in that state of astonishment. I am, I am letting myself be in a state of awe. Yes, but I can't be in that state of astonishment. You, I'm certain, have met people. If you had met me. Then I'm like, I feel like I'm Mr. Calm right now. But wow, was I off kilter? Was I like on edge in those years? The um, And I'm sure you've met people who are in that frantic mm-hmm. point in this experience where they're like trying to come to terms with it. And it's not easy and it's frenetic. And I, I would argue that and I that in when you are in that frenetic headspace, you, you space, you are going to get frenetic energy synchronicities yeah that comes frenetic event yeah because you're going to reflect it you're just in the uh i interviewed a guy named dr kirby surprise who had all kinds of owl experiences and ufo anyway so he had i'm going to be very cautious because he's he gave me permission to tell this story and he has had ufo experiences they're very subtle they're very powerful they they and he's also written a book called synchronicity and he's one of the smartest, most engaging conversations I've ever had on this subject was with him. And he said, we are all just parakeets in the cage, pecking at our own ref- at, a, at the mirror, not realizing it is our own reflection. And that's kind of a Zen Cohen until you live, you know, until you've lived it. And I'm like, wow, that like, we are all just parakeets in the cage pecking at the mirror, not realizing it is our own reflection. Like we are generating mm-hmm. these synchronicities. I would argue that we are generating on some level, we are generating the owl experiences. On some level, we are generating the UFO contact experience. So I'm getting, this is, I'm fully on the, on the outlying edge of what, you know, this is, this is, mystical speculation at its flimsiest but that's how it feels to me i can't i can't back it up but that is how it feels reality is much more malleable and charged with energy than we think it is i i really believe that uh, the idea of purely mechanistic and uh materialistic reality i mean there's a reason that the the hindus call it maya they call it illusion that that all of all of matter you know they tell us in school well you know atoms there's very few atoms in matter it's mostly empty space you know but of course it's solid you know but it isn't really and i stub your toe and it hurts yeah yeah exactly and but I, I do think that there, there is 
that other part of reality that is just it interpenetrates the material part and it it moves around it's like you know it's like the the repelling magnets that you were talking about that odd feeling of moving not just through the physical space but also through a a mystical space a a spiritual space that there's there's world upon world stacked and and surrounding us just just all around us and that if we just calm down a little bit <laughs> I, I i'm very much into please calm down a little bit everyone we can feel that that's what meditation does that's what uh just being out in nature i really think that's one of the best ways people can calm their minds if if med you know if sitting meditation doesn't work go outside and try it i think that works better at least mm -hmm. it does for me um or just just go take a walk and and open yourself observe you know it, i think i think a lot of people who live in cities and in uh modern modern reality we they, they're just they don't observe you know one of my big stories about an owl and this isn't mystical at all um this is when i lived in maryland i was going to bed bath and beyond it, it, it's that's really not mystical at all i needed towels um but i i'm driving and i see up above Movement always draws my attention. So, you know, I'm in the parking lot and I'm looking for a parking spot and I see this movement up in the sky. And so I look and it's an owl, not too far up. You know, I mean, I could tell it was an owl because they look headless and they're kind of, their bodies are kind of mm -hmm. round and the way their wings are shaped. And then it was being, it was being dive bombed by a, a murder of crows, like a family of crows, about eight crows and one owl. And I'm like, oh, they're mobbing him. You know, so I parked the car and I, you know, get out and I grab my bag and I'm, I'm just standing there like a jackass in the middle of the parking lot, staring up, mouth hanging open because this is like serious bird drama happening. Like this is, this mm -hmm. is, you know, I want to know who's, who did what to who and, and why the, the crows are upset with him. You know, sometimes crows kind of are, are jerks and will just pick on a, an owl, and the owl didn't even have to do anything except be close to where they roost, and they can get mad about that. But sometimes owls will mess with, with crows' nests and nestlings. So, you know, so I don't know the story behind this, but I am going to watch the play out. And, you know, people are driving past me and walking past me, and I'm completely ignoring all of them. I'm, I'm busy. I'm looking up at the sky. And finally, some, some dude is walking past, and he just sort of stops. And I, I feel eyes looking at me. And I, I look down, and I look over, and he's staring at me. He's, what are you looking at? And I said, oh, that's, a, that's an owl being mobbed by crows. They do that. They, they, you know, they, it's, it's usually territorial. I said, but look, it's like a, like a you know world war one dog fight with you know biplanes and he looked up he said oh 
He's like, how did you ever see that? I'm like, mm. because I looked up. <laughs> I said, I, I was just driving and I saw a mo- movement and I looked up and he said, I, I've never seen that. And, and I would never think you'd see that in, in like the suburbs. Meanwhile, you know, other people are walking and then, you know, he, he was just, huh. And then he, you know, he went on about his business. I guess he had to have towels too. I don't know. And I was just like, it's not like the, you know, these things happen all around us all the time. And now that humans have sort of started pressing outwards at the same time, we've allowed wilderness to kind of grow up around our suburbs too. You know, you'll get the third growth forests starting. So there are animals all around us. There are animals in our urban centers, but people generally don't see them. And I'm like, how? How can you miss that? That's like, to me, that's excitement. Mm-hmm. You know, if anybody reads my um, Facebook, you know, pages, you know, half the time it's bird drama. You know, what did I see outside my window, you know, or, you know, what, what were the, the blue herons doing in the river, you know? What's, you know, there was like five of them out there, you know, it's always something it's another, like that. It's another mythic animal, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I, I watch all the birds, and I, I'm always seeing them doing things. So we we do live in this modern era, and so, like, because of that, I'm, like, totally, completely open to, like, I, like, don't wait a real owl or like an owl t-shirt or an owl lunchbox or an owl TV commercial that shows up at an appropriate time, an mm-hmm. owl in a movie. Like those are all like, we don't live in the forest anymore. But right. We still have like these things around. So like I, I tap into those, mm-hmm. um, like not tap into those. I don't discount those. No. Absolutely and I, not. and I give those the same weight as a real owl experience yeah. in the, in the, cause be in the, in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I uh, I did a hypnosis session in 2018 with Yvonne Smith. I was in Pasadena, California, and a lot happened in that. Wow. Like to tell that story properly takes about a half hour. It's wild. So I had like, you know, like emotional and crying and this thing. And so this whole drama unfolds. But at the end, like when I sat down with her, like I, she sits with you before the things like, what do you want to work on? What do you want to? And so I wanted to look at one event, which was what I called my confirmation event earlier. And then it, I said, Hey, while I'm under, while I'm under hypnosis in that vulnerable state, can you like, ask me like, like what's up with the owls? I'm curious what I'll say. She goes, sure. And so I'm like, I'd go through this whole thing and I'm like, run, I'm wrung dry at the end of this conversation. And she says, and Mike, what is your connection to owls? And I kind of go, well, uh, 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 and I try to say like that I'm an artist and I know the meaning of a symbol and it's all comes out kind of chattery. And hypnosis is funny. Like you listen to a hypnotic transcript. It's like somebody whispers really quietly and they, they talk in these little fragmented sentences. So it's really easy to transcribe. And so like I kind of chatter for a little bit and then, then I go, And I speak very clearly. I say, the owls aren't important. I would never say that. Like like my whole life, 10 (laughs) years, a decade, it's owls, owls, owls. I get up in the morning. It's all I do is like 
research owls and answer letters about owls and make phone calls about owls and like right out of my mouth. The owls aren't important. I can do this little thing off. I've been, it's like, it's seared into my mind came out and it came out so poetically like it did not sound like the normal chatter of the, of the hypnosis. The owls aren't important. The owls are a symbol on a door. It is the door that is important. The owl is the correct symbol for the door, but the owls are not important. Mm -hmm. We are on this side of the door in this claustrophobic little hallway. And on the other side of the door is an infinite vastness. Yep. I have no idea where that came from. I asked Yvonne later. I had a phone call with her and I said, was I channeling? And she was very wise. She said, well, how would I know? <laughs> like maybe, <laughs> like it could have been, you know, like I can't answer that. And I'm like, okay, well, it, it sure came out of nowhere. Even though I had prepped it, like I had said ahead of time, ask me what's up with the owls. So she asked me, what is your connection to the owls? And my response was, the owls aren't important. The owls are a symbol on the door. So so that, that was such a helpful way for me to like release my, like I was no longer clinging mm -hmm. to the owl thing. Like now I'm, you know, I was always kind of open. I would click these stories. I saw the power in the stories, but now like now, like I say this all the time. You got to take three or four steps back and look at the story differently. Look at it like a dream. Look at it like a myth. Where's the where's the symbolism in these experiences and these events? Yeah. What what is the meaning? The meaning is behind the symbol, like you said. It's behind the door. It's the owl is just the exclamation point mm -hmm. key on the keyboard. It is put in place by the script writers of reality, placed there for a purpose to have an effect. And that effect would be to the same reason you punctuate a sentence with an exclamation point to emphasize something. Yeah. I'm simplifying it greatly. And this is how it feels to me. I can't prove it, but that's how it feels to me. I like that. I like that. And I think we should end there because it's just so poetic and beautiful. And it feels, I, I've had conversations with people and, and I, if two thoughtful people talk about UFOs, it should take about five minutes before they're talking about God and why are we here and what does it all mean and where do we go when we die and what's the nature of reality? The people who don't go there in five minutes, like, I'm not interested in talking to them really because it's they're they're on some lower tier that I'm or some different they're like I guess upper lower I'm trying to I'm putting judgment they're, into they're, it which I am putting I'm judging it greatly I'm being kind of judgmental but I'm saying that like this forces you to ask the big 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 questions these experiences yeah I I think that's absolutely the truth that yeah uh, you know you 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 can look at things like UFOs and, and get into that nutsy, boltsy, extraterrestrial, you know. To me, I don't even care if they're from here or there, you know, inside or outside. It, 
that isn't necessarily the part that interests me. You know, are they physical? Are they paraphysical? Are they spiritual? Are they just photons? What is, what are we seeing? What is happening? It's the meaning. And the, the last few UFO sightings I've had, to me, it's, it's been anomalous lights, large anomalous lights, but they were punctuating something. And it, it, it was the, it was as if I knew where to look and I looked and they were there. One of them happened at Christmas time and <laughs> see, see, and, uh, Another one was, it was the night of a tragic event. And Morgana and I were together for both of them. Although the only reason we were together, the, we weren't really together. We were in the same town. We live in the same town. And she was across town. And she called me and she said, Mom, go outside, look up. It should be in your, in your direction in, in a second or so. And uh, it was a very large white light moving in a straight line, no sound, uh, exceedingly bright, um, no sound of an engine, no physical looking anything around it. Mm -hmm. And it was really low. And it was weird because it was, it was, you know, I mean, I was like, that's anomalous. I know what an airplane looks like, and I know what a helicopter looks like. I know what they sound like. I know what a drone sounds like. I know what they fly like. That's not it. And yeah. it had a specific meaning and a message. So it's, I, I'm not as interested in, you know, the physical bits and pieces. Although, you know, the metamaterials that Dr. Valet talks about that, you know, have... Oh, it's all very interesting. Uh, interesting properties that, you know, would be very difficult to, to produce on Earth. That is interesting. I've that, gone in the fields and measured the burn marks in someone's yard and put the little stakes in and take the tape measure out and measured all that stuff and wrote down a little piece of paper and I've done that stuff. And, yeah. And it didn't, I'll tell you what, it did not, it did not, it did not propel my line of thinking anywhere. No. Does that make sense? It did not like, yeah. it did not it did not light me on fire with a, like a passion to know more. Yeah. I wanted to talk to the guy is who had the experience, you know, how's your, are you psychic now? Or like, what are your dreams mm -hmm. like? Yeah. Very I John Keel, the, you yeah. know, what did you have for breakfast? And, you know, did that change after you saw it? Lots of people become vegetarians afterwards. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Including this this guy himself. This is was, it was actually this was in Christopher Bledsoe's backyard. I don't know if you've heard of him. Mm -hmm. And so, and he used to hunt, and he stopped hunting. I hear that a lot. Hunters have these experiences and stop hunting. People become vegetarians. People don't squash bugs. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and. You know, they carry the ants out of the kitchen on a piece of paper and let them go in the yard. And and uh, so a transformational process. Mm -hmm. The owl is a symbol of the transformational process. I would argue that you could just say that to the UFO too. 
Yeah. That's owl is or the UFO, the owl and synchronicity are all interwoven. People can people's lives can be changed. I've had many people who've told me stories that the owl experience was so powerful it changed their life. I have that story. Mm-hmm. I'm that person. I've heard it from other people. I've heard synchronicity. Synchronicity is so powerful it changed my life. Yep. And anyone who sees a UFO, any thoughtful person who sees a UFO, they're I mean, obviously now the New York Times is writing articles about UFOs and taking it seriously, but you know, just a few years ago, if you saw a UFO and spoke about it, you would be on the outs of what would be considered acceptable, normal right. dinner table conversation. Yeah. Even though it's all over our mythology and our comic books and our movies and our folklore and our pop culture. Sometimes I think that's more harmful than helpful. Because people look down upon, you know, comic books and movies and... I, you know, I don't know. I wasn't there in ancient Greece. Yeah. Where they looking down on the people who were like, who staggered off of Mount Olympus talking about seeing, you know... Yeah. The gods in their glowing togas. I don't know. So. Yeah. So who knows? Good. This what? was a joy. You, yeah, the, I, yeah. Well, you said you were going to end it, and then I kept on talking. That's okay. So that was that's that, that happened last so. time too. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. But yes, I I do like the ending of the infinite vastness behind the door with the owl. And we tacked on fifteen more minutes. So. Yeah, that's extra special. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming back. It was my and honor. It was great to we, to we. I feel like we we. I feel like my goal. My when I before I. Before we started talking, I was my hope was that we could get to the same depth that we got to before, and I sure feel like we did. I think so. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you. And we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you.